this is a holiday weekend, and it's the weekend that we remember those who paid the ultimate price for our freedom. This is Memorial Day, and uh, it reminds us freedom is not free. And people have paid the ultimate price for the freedoms we have. And America's the greatest country that's ever graced this earth. And um, it's because of the brave people that we're able to do what we're doing here today and have freed the freedoms we still enjoy. And so many have died, shed their blood on our behalf. Don't forget them. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read this chapter. There we are. Hebrews chapter 4, follow along with me. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that does not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin." Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful for this great country. We're thankful and praise you for those who were willing to pay the ultimate price to keep our, our great country free. And now today, Lord, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture. We're going to see some things here that we need we know that your word will not return void, and we trust that as it's preached that you'll take your word and apply it to hearts and lives in this place. There may be folks here who have never been saved. They've never come to Christ. 
They have no assurance if they died right now, they're going to heaven. But Lord, they can know if they'll just come to Christ. And I pray that in the invitation, any here that are lost and, and not saved would come and let us put them with a man if they're a man, a lady if you're a lady, and take the Bible and show them how to be saved. Our hearts are burdened for unsaved people. And then we pray for believers. Lord, might we be open. Might we be, just, just, might we be open to you and willing to listen to your Holy Spirit. Might we be conscious of your presence in our midst. God, speak to us this morning and do your work and your will in every heart and life. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've titled this, Gleanings from God's Let Us Patch. Gleanings from God's Let Us Patch. Now, this morning, our subject is exactly that, Gleanings from God's Let Us Patch. Now, most of us are aware that the term Let Us Patch usually refers to L-E-T-T-U-C-E patch. Uh, it's a particular place in someone's garden where lettuce has been planted and is now cultivated. When the lettuce is ripe, the grower wanders through that patch, picking that which is ready for consumption. Not all of the lettuce is going to be ready at the same time, so some will be gleaned and some will be passed over. This morning, I want to speak for a while in a different, on a different, uh, of a different type of lettuce patch. And this is God's let us patch. It's found in the, scattered, if you will, throughout this book of Hebrews. This patch consists of seven different admonitions to believers to let us take a particular action. This epistle was written to believers, and the thrust of it is that believers must leave the old elements of their religion and cease living for the flesh as they once did. Now they must move on and learn to live like the children of God that they really are. How sad it is to see people who have professed faith in Christ failing to follow him as they ought. The Bible teaches very clearly that those who are saved, those who are in Christ, are to yield themselves to Christ. The writer of Hebrews uses the phrase, let us, several times to illustrate and to admonish believers to take appropriate actions, appropriate steps in following the Lord. And so this morning, we're going to look at these uh, gleanings from God's lettuce patch. And the first one we want to see is, let us therefore fear. In chapter 4, verse 1, uh, we see that phrase, let us therefore fear. You know, proper fear can be good and helpful. Proper fear helps us to avoid danger. Uh, for instance, sometimes when we come on a dangerous situation and our fear of it is affecting us, causes us to stay away from it. That's how a child learns to stay away from fire. Hmm? They get burnt one time, now fear is put into them. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I was thinking about this. You know, uh, fear can be a good thing. Suppose you, uh, after one of these storms, you went out in your yard and there was a a high-voltage wire laying on your grass and sparking and carrying on and, and all that it does, uh, fear would tell you to stay away from it, right? So fear can be a good thing. Uh, proper fear in the spiritual realm is likewise a good thing. Uh, it's, fear in the spiritual realm, first and foremost, is going to cause a person to come to Christ. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, 
When you talk to people about if you die without Jesus, they're going to spend eternity in hell. If you die without Jesus, you're never going to see heaven. If you die without Jesus, there's no hope for you, and you'll suffer torment forever and ever. Well, I don't know about you, but that should strike fear in a person's heart. And uh, listen, I'm not saying people should get saved just to stay out of hell, but that's a pretty good reason. Amen? And uh, so the fear of, of judgment of God later on, uh, you know, we try to remind people, you know, we're all going to stand before God one day, one way or the other. And uh, that fear of having to stand before God, uh, spiritual fear can be a good thing and cause people to get saved. Uh, it can also cause saved people to be careful how they live. You know, uh, we're supposed to live Christian lives, and, and we know we don't always do it. We fail. But one thing that ought to keep us living the Christian lives the way we're supposed to is fear. What do you mean, fear? Well, number one, fear of chastisement. How many of you have ever experienced the chastening of God? You know God chastened you. That's not a pleasant thing, is it? And you know, normally, if you've had that once or twice, you do everything you can to avoid that. Yeah, it's kind of like when you were young and mom and dad said, you know, if you do that again, I'll take you to the woodshed. Hmm? And maybe you do it again the first time, but you learn your lesson. Well, that's how it is with God. So, so fear of chastisement helps us to live the Christian life. I don't want to do that because I don't want to go through the chastening hand of God. And then the fear of losing our joy and our power in the Lord keeps us uh, living the right kind of life. Boy, I think about David over there in Psalm 51 when he begs God to return unto him the joy of his salvation. And listen, friends, when you're backslid on God, when you're getting away from God, when you're not living for God, you're not going to have the joy and you're not going to have the, the power of God on your life. And uh, fear of losing that power and losing that joy helps us to stay true to the Lord. And then the fear of being an unprofitable servant. I think about Paul when he said he feared lest he be a castaway. And that didn't mean he would lose his salvation. It meant he would be found of no value. Listen, friend, I don't want to be found of no value when it comes to the Lord. I want to be valuable to him in using me to, to accomplish his plans and his purposes. Not only that, fear should cause the saved people to be obedient. And I thought about this. We need to recognize the devastating results to those, to those in the Bible who disobeyed God. You know, I read about a lot of people in the Bible who disobeyed God, and I read the price that they paid. And I'm thinking about Moses. Do you realize Moses disobeyed God? He struck that rock twice. And it cost him the opportunity to go into the promised land. Not only that, I thought about Saul. King Saul, the first king of Israel, and he disobeyed God. And ultimately, it cost him the kingdom. The kingdom was now turned over to David. And I thought about Jonah. Jonah disobeyed God, and he ended up as whale vomit. Hmm. Listen. Uh, that's some of the fear, the fear that losing uh, the blessings of God on our lives. I don't want to lose God's blessings. I want him to be able to bless me because of my obedience. You see, here's what I was thinking, and, and it seems to me people today, Christians and non-Christians alike, have lost their fear of God. 
I think about the unsaved. You know, they, they deny God exists. They deny that God created everything. Oh, all this just happened, you know. There's no creator, really. They deny him. They mock him. Boy, I'll tell you, Hollywood loves to mock God, don't they? And, and, and the, uh, you know, the, the entertainment industry in general loves to, to mock God and make a mockery of, of those of us who live for God. Uh, they just don't have a fear of God. Some in the world even rebel against, totally against God. And I was thinking about, boy, if man would just get the fear of God back. You know, I'm concerned about America. I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned about the fact we've become a godless nation. And that's what the liberals want to do to us. They want to make us a godless nation, just like many of the European countries have become godless. And, they, and, and, and we don't want America to go that direction. It seems like people have lost their fear of God. The unsaved deny him, they mock him, they rebel against him. But how about the believers? Many believers relish the love of God, but give no attention to the need to fear God. We have a lot of preaching in, in our Bible-preaching churches today on the love of God, the love of God, the love of God. I'm all for that. But listen, we've got to balance that. Because God is not just loving, he's also a righteous uh, holy and righteous God, and judges sin. And uh, people seem to forget that. So number one, from the lettuce patch, we need to therefore fear. Uh, number two, the Bible says, we should labor. Look at verse 11. He says, let us labor therefore. Well, God expects those who are saved to labor for him. In Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 10, the Bible says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that we should walk in them. Listen, every one of us have been saved, and we've been saved with a purpose. And the purpose is that we would walk in God's ways and serve him. We're saved to serve. We're saved to be witnesses of him. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus told his disciples to go back to Jerusalem and wait. And he said, ye shall be endued with power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Listen, we're supposed to be witnesses. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's our, that's our responsibility we're to be the witnesses for him that he wants us to be. And then we're to allow Christ to live through us. Do you realize the Lord wants to live through you? Paul writes over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God wants us to live for him. We don't allow Christ to live through us. Paul said this over in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, the majority of believers are failing to really labor for the Lord. As a pastor, and I look around, and by the way, it's, it's not just me as a pastor. Pastors I talk to, evangelists I talk to, say the same thing. 
There's a great struggle in the churches today to get people to do anything. People today just don't want to don't want to do anything for the Lord. They don't want to witness for him. Let me ask you this question. Don't, don't answer it, but just think about it. When, when's the last time you talked to somebody about the Lord? Hmm? When's the last time you tried to get somebody saved? You gave a gospel witness. But we're supposed to be doing that. He saved us so that he could live through us. And uh, Paul is giving testimony here how he, he wants Christ to live through him. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, I died to me. The old me died. And now I live not for me, but for Jesus Christ. Can people say that about you? Do they see that in you, that you're living for Christ? The majority of believers are failing in this area. No witness for him, no service for him, no Sunday school teaching, no bus working, no children's church working, no nursery working, no soul winning, nothing of that nature in service for the Lord. But he says here, let us labor. That means work. God never intended for any of us to be spectators, Christians. Christians, we're supposed to be laboring for the master. So number one, we see, let us fear. Number two, we see, let us labor. And number three, in verse 16, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. God desires his children to fellowship with him in prayer. And that's what he's talking about there. He says, come boldly, come with confidence to the throne of grace. He invites us to come boldly, and he wants us to come and bring our requests to him. He wants to hear our prayers. You know, Jesus taught the importance of prayer. In Luke 18.1, he gave this parable that men ought always to pray and not to faint. In Matthew chapter 7, he said, Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. He admonishes us to be a people of prayer. He doesn't want us to faint. We're not to faint and fall away from our prayer time. James reminds us of the power of prayer. He says over in chapter 5, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then he gives the illustration of Elijah. Elijah who prayed and stopped the rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again and the rains came after three and a half years. That's the kind of power there is in prayer. And he wants us to understand that we can have that power in prayer. And he wants us to have that power in prayer. But we need to come. Christians must learn to be prayer warriors. Somebody said this, spiritual battles are won in the prayer closet. Hmm. You know, our power really rests in our prayer. We need to be a people of prayer. Ask yourself the same, another question. How much time have you spent in prayer this past week? Do you have a daily prayer time? Is there a time when you get alone with God and just talk to him and share with him? You know, that's what he desires. He wants that personal connection with you when you talk to him. And by the way, if you talk to him in your prayer time, he'll talk to you. Mm -hmm. You'll hear from him. And then look at the next one. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't pick that up. But let us draw near. Go over to chapter 10.
<laughs> I've lost one. Go over to chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. So now we're to lay, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the dead. So we need to let us go on to perfection. Well, wouldn't it be wonderful to be a perfect Christian? Do you have a desire to be a perfect Christian? I mean, wouldn't you like to be sin-free and not have that battle all the time and not disappoint the Lord, not know you disappointed him? Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but it's not going to happen until you get to heaven. Hmm? I've met a few people who think they're the perfect Christian, but there is none. There's no perfect Christian. So when he says to let us go on to perfection, he's not talking about being perfect people. He's talking about maturing, growing in the Lord, making progress in our spiritual life. We're to grow as believers. Listen, when you got saved, you're a little spiritual baby. You're not supposed to stay that way. You're supposed to grow. And Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 2, verse 2. He says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Listen, we need to move on to per perfection. We need to be growing. And we need to be feeding on God's word in order to do that. We need to learn the truths and the principles and the precepts found in the Bible. Those are the things that grow us. We grow by experiencing the trials and testings of our faith. Somebody said, the bumps of life are what we climb on. And I believe that's true. We, we grow in the valley, not on the mountaintop. We grow by experiencing trials and testings in our faith. James talks about that early in the book of James, how the trials and testings of our faith are a work that God's doing in us. Far too many Christians have stagnated in their spiritual growth. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, some remain spiritual babes. Listen, I've met Christians who got saved, and, and uh, that's about all there was to it. I mean, you don't see much progress in their Christian life. You don't see them wanting to get in church and get busy for the Lord, and, and uh, uh, they don't spend much time with Bible or spiritual things. Now, are they saved? Well, only God knows their heart, but they claim to be saved. Seems like there ought to be a difference in their life, and seems like there ought to be a desire to grow. The bumps are what we climb on, and each, each one of our trials and tribulations helps us to grow in our faith and make our faith stronger. I've used the illustration of a weightlifter. Listen, friend, if you want to lift 600 pounds, you don't start with 600 pounds. If you're like me, you start about 20 pounds. After we master that, then we move on, and you keep putting more and more weight, more and more of a challenge, it becomes more and more difficult. But that's how you build. That's how you build your muscle. Well, the way we build our faith is through the trials and testings we go through. And each one, listen, 
as we allow God to do what he's going to do, it builds us. If we don't let God do what he's going to do, we've got to do it all over again so we get built up. Amen? The trials and testings, that's where your, your growth is really going to come. And we need to be growing as believers. Some remain spiritual babes. Here's another tragedy. Some people grow in the Lord to a certain point where it seems like they've ceased growing. They're, they feel like, well, I've arrived. They feel like I've gone far enough. This is far enough, and, and I'm satisfied where I am. I don't know about you. I don't get satisfied in my Christian life. I always want to be better. I always want to do better. I always want to live better. I always want to preach better. I want to be better in my spiritual life. Hmm? I know the only time I'm ever going to have arrived is when, when I'm with the Lord in heaven. And until then, I want to keep making progress. Keep moving on to maturity. Let us move on. And then the next one, let us draw near. James tells us, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Now go over to chapter 10. Verse 22. It says, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us draw near. We need to draw close to God and walk close to the Lord. You know, God desires that we have a close and an intimate relationship with him. God wants to be close and intimate with you. God wants to have fellowship with you, little old you. Do you know you're only one of seven billion people in this world right now? Makes you sound pretty insignificant, doesn't it? One of seven billion people in the world. I mean, we're like a little pebble of sand, uh, you know, on the sea, sea of the earth. But listen, even though we're so insignificant in that sense, we are really significant in that God wants to have fellowship with us individually, personally. He loves us and he desires that. He wants us to walk with him. He wants us to talk with him. He wants us to feel those, his very presence in our life. You know, a close relationship with God is available to any and all who will desire it. That's why James said, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. See, we have to show a desire to be close to God. Oh, I love Psalm 42 and verse 1. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O Lord. And, you know, I pray that many days. Lord, in my heart, I'm panting after you. I'm wanting to know you better and closer. But here's a thought. God does not force us to have a close relationship with him. But he promises one to all who will seek it. So God's not going to make you have a close relationship with him. But he says this, if you'll desire a close relationship with me, I will come to you and I will have a close relationship. You know, many believers remain distant with God. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, they never really seek or desire to be close or intimate with God. They refuse to forsake their sin and to yield their self-will so they can be close to him. I wrote myself a little note, and I'm going to share it with you. God is not going to cozy up to a rebellious, carnal-minded believer who's not really interested in a close relationship. 
But if you have a desire, he will. He will come to you. And then notice this one. Let us hold fast. Hebrews 10, verse 22. Or 23, I'm sorry. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Oh my, now we're to hold fast. What he's saying is there are some things we need to be settled in and unmovable in. Be settled in our profession, our salvation. Listen, I don't ever assume everybody in the room is saved. Hmm? You may be a member of this church. You may have gone through the baptismal waters. You may read your Bible every day. And you may do what you think is praying every day, but you may be lost as a goose in a blizzard. Hmm? How can that be? Well, you're trusting the wrong things. Has there been a time in your life where you realize you're a sinner before Almighty God, you deserve hell, and the only way that you're going to escape hell is to, have, is to come to Jesus Christ and ask him to save you and be your Savior? Listen, salvation isn't just praying a prayer. It's not just going forward in a church service. It's believing in your heart. I do believe what you just said, preacher. I am a low-down, dirty, rotten sinner in the eyes of God. And I do need a Savior and want Jesus Christ to save me. I realize I can't save myself. Listen, friend, we need to hold fast to our profession of our faith. Are you confident in, in your profession do you have the confidence if you drop dead right where you're sitting that you'd end up in heaven? If you don't have that confidence, when we have invitation, you need to come and let us speak with you because you should have that confidence. Our, we should be able to hold fast to our profession and, and, and have complete trust and assurance in God's promises. Listen, I'm not assured of my salvation because of anything I say or do. I'm not sure I'm saved because I'm a preacher. I'm not sure I'm saved because I try to live the Christian life. No, 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 no. I'm sure I'm saved because I'm believing the very promises of Almighty God. You see, I read over in Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. That's a promise from Jesus. And you know, on February 22nd, 1974, I did exactly that. I opened the door to my heart, and he came in. So I'm trusting in his word that he promised me. I'm, I'm believing in, in Romans, or, or first, uh, first John 5 and verse 12, where the Bible says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And I remember that day when I invited Jesus into my heart and into my life, and I have him. And so based upon not my thinking or not my uh, anything about me, but in his word, he said, if I have the Son, I have eternal life. That's a promise, and I claim it. And then over in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I remember when I called upon the name of the Lord, and God promised if I would do that, he would save me. So I have confidence. I hold fast to my profession of my faith. I don't worry about if I die, where am I going to be? Now, I do worry sometimes about how I'm going to die. Because if I told you before, there are some ways I don't want to die. But, but once I'm dead, I know where I'm going to be. This whole carcass will die, but I'm going to be with Jesus and be with him forever. And I hold fast to that. 
I hold fast to my profession of faith. And then we need to hold fast to our doctrine. Listen, there's no room for compromise. There's no room for, for abandoning our beliefs and our doctrines. We need to stand firm on the doctrines of the Bible. I'm talking about the virgin birth. I don't want a Bible that takes away the virgin birth. I don't want a Bible that calls Mary a young maiden and not the virgin. If we don't have a virgin birth savior, we don't have a savior. And, and so I'm not interested in that. I'm not going over to the NIV or the ASV or the VBD or, or any other the Bible of the month club. I got a good old King James Bible, and I'm just going to hang on to it. And, and it's been my guide thus far in my Christian life. It'll be my guide until they shovel dirt on this old carcass. This whole book is my book. Don't need to change it. I'm going to stand fast on that. Oh, but the modern versions are easier to read. Yeah, well, they say the King James Bible is written on a sixth grade reading level. So if you can't read the King James Bible and get some understanding, uh, you've got a problem with your reading ab ability. Amen? So don't try to change the Bible. Try to change you. Amen. Our doctrine, we need to stand fast for the virgin birth and the salvation by grace and through faith, for the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in saving us, for the inspiration of the Bible and the inerrancy of the Bible. Paul says over in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that we're, we're to stand firm, stand fast, uh, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Steadfast and unmovable. Listen, friend, I believed some things when I got saved. I was taught some things by my pastor, Pastor Fideda and Dr. Gray, and I believe those things. I'm going to continue to believe those things, and I'm going to hold fast to them. I don't care what everybody else does. I don't care how many praise choruses they have. I don't care how many different versions of the Bible they come up with. I don't care if they put the blue lights on the platform. I don't care if they come in with the nightclub atmosphere for church going. I'm staying right where I am. I'm not moving an inch. You say, well, I don't like all that. We'll find another church. It's easier for you to move than me to move my furniture. Amen? I'm sick to death with people who are compromising today. People who are denying what they once believed. Peter doubting, or people doubting what they once believed to be true and absolute. People bending to become popular and draw bigger crowds. People watering down the truths of the Bible. Oh, no. No, no, no. Let us hold fast and be unmovable. And then lastly, let us lay aside. Mm -mm -mm. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Come on, Bible. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are com compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let us lay aside. That means put some things off. That means jettison some things from our life. We're to lay aside every weight and the sin, he says, which, which does so easily beset us. We're instructed to rid ourselves of some things in this race of life that we're running for the Lord. You say, here's a, here's a sad truth. We believers often have excess baggage and things that trip us up in our Christian lives. We need to rid ourselves of all the things that hinder us 
in our Christian lives. You know, sometimes we have what the Bible uh, author here calls weights. Well, if I read this correctly, these weights are things that, while not sinful, keep us from being all we should be for the Lord. It's something that weighs us down. Listen, a weight could be a friendship or a relationship. A weight could be a hobby or an improper priority, maybe a love for leisure. It's just something that keeps us, <coughs> again, not necessarily sinful, but something that keeps us from being all we need to be for the Lord. Whatever it is, we're to put it aside. I remember a man I led to Christ down in Gastonia named Chris, and he got in church, and he got busy, and, uh, and uh, he had a boat, and it was over there at uh, Santee, over there in South Carolina. Before he got saved, he used to go over there a lot of weekends and just fish and play around on the boat. But when he got saved, he realized he needed to be in church, and he needed to be uh, busy for the Lord. He got on a bus route, and it wasn't too long. He came to me and said, Preacher, I sold my boat. I said, Amen. You see, that boat would only be a weight to him. That boat would just keep him back from being what God wanted him to be if he gave time to that boat. So he just got rid of it. He, he laid it aside, set aside, lay aside, get rid of some things. We have, uh, we have the weights that hold us back. And then he says we have sins that are so easily beset us. These are those uh, pet sins, you might call them. And uh, these are those ones that we really struggle with that we need to deal with and get rid of because it's holding us back. You see, many Christians are trying to live the Christian life with a lot of weights and a lot of sins that are undealt with in their life, and they're having a hard time. For these, the Christian life is a constant struggle, and it requires great effort, and it yields very little success. And they're frustrated and wore out and wore down. You know, it's like, if you were going to run a race, it's like going and putting a bunch of heavy clothes on and, 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 and some heavy boots and, and carrying a couple of 10-pound barbells in your hand. Well, that's not going to help you run that race. That's going to hold you back. And a lot of Christians have that kind of uh, influence on their Christian life, and it's just weighing them down and holding them back. Get rid of that junk so you can run with patience the races set before you. The Bible says... Let us, let us fear God. Let us labor for the Lord. Let us pray to God. Let us mature in God. Let us draw near to God. Let us fast our, our beliefs, let us hold fast our beliefs that we got from God. And let us lay aside every weight that hinders us for God. Listen, friend, how you doing in the lettuce patch? There are some things we're supposed to do. All, the, all those things are action words that we need to take. How is it in your Christian life? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to talk to unsaved people here this morning for just a minute. I talked about having assurance of your salvation knowing that if you died, not wondering, not hoping, but knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, based on what God said in his word, that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven to be with Jesus. Maybe you don't have that assurance. This morning, God's speaking to your heart. 
Would you yield to him today? He says he's standing at the door to your heart, knocking. He wants to come in and save you. Would you this morning invite him into your heart, into your life? Would you today make that decision? Yes, I want Jesus to save me. Come into my heart and in my life. Forgive me of my sins and give me eternal life. If that's you this morning, while nobody's looking but me, would you just put your hand up so I can pray for you? Preacher, that's me. People think I'm saved. I'm really not. I know it. God knows it. I'm not for sure if I died that I'm going to heaven. I want to get it settled. Here's my hand. Would you slip it up high? God spoke to you this morning. He's trying to get your attention. He don't want you to die and go to hell. He's done everything needed to be done for you to go to heaven. You just need to receive it. Maybe you prayed a prayer. Maybe you signed a card. Maybe you went forward in the church, but you've never been saved. Is there someone like that here today? Would you slip your hand up, preacher? That's me. Now I want to talk to Christians for just a minute. How are you doing in the lettuce patch? How are you doing about letting God have his way in your heart and in your life? We've, we've seen all these things that would have led us. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're a believer and you say, Preacher, I think I'm doing pretty good in that lettuce patch. As you went down that list, I think I'm, I'm doing pretty good with what God wants me to let him do. Here's my hand. Would you hold it up high? Hold it up high. I think I'm in pretty good shape there in the lettuce patch. Put it down. I wonder how many would say, Preacher, as you went through those things, God spoke to me. There are some things that I need to change in my life. There are some things that I'm not all God wants me to be. I'm not doing all he wants me to do. Maybe you're not fearing God or laboring for him, or, or maybe your prayer time is, is uh, negligent. Maybe you're, you're not growing in the Lord like you should or drawing nigh to him. Maybe you're not holding fast, or maybe there's some weights and some sins that you need to set aside. I wonder how you're doing. God speak to your heart today and say, Preacher, there's some areas you need to change in my life. He spoke to me today. Here's my hand. Would you hold it up high? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's stand together.